It's Monday night, which means a brand new episode of Graphic Fantasy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. And we got an interesting episode tonight to take on a topic that's really been in the news for the last couple of weeks um, and really should have been tackled a long time ago, harassment and specifically harassment in the comics industry. Uh, but we're not going to necessarily linger on all of the uh, crap going on. We'll be bringing up the numerous horrible things that have happened in the industry instead want to do a little bit different of a take on it. Uh, we've got a uh, lawyer to join us who we'll introduce in a little bit uh, to actually answer our questions and probably you know dive into some of the uh, lingering or the bigger picture stuff that's out there. Uh, so this is going to be hopefully more helpful than uh, kicking up the dirt. Uh, joining me as always is my awesome co-host Alana who set up our uh, awesome guest and, and has this fantastic suggestion of who can answer our questions. Welcome to the show Alana. Hi. Well, you know, I uh, I actually used to be on the board of the organization that our guest Paula uh, is one of the leaders of. And, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of different perspectives that are useful for addressing the sexual harassment and harassment in general uh, crisis in the comics industry. Uh, but it seemed like nobody had talked to a lawyer, which is yep. certainly one very valid and a useful place to begin some of those conversations, you know, and we're not here to say that like the legal approach is the be all and end all, but it seems like it hasn't even been part of the conversation yet. And we think that there are really amazing lawyers out there who have a lot of ideas and, and um, things to contribute to the conversation. So I wanted to bring on Paula who, uh, to join us. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of part of the, the thought of tonight. Um, and before I introduce Paula, you know, part of, is like you know a lot of people are talking about these horrible things tons of people are doing uh but like even i as a person standing here like i don't know what legally i should do what is hr supposed to do like what laws are there um you know there's a lot of the the horrible stories horror stories and not so much of like what should be happening um obviously not harassing people would be a great start of the what should be happening <laughs> uh, but Barring that, actually, you know, us blinking a, uh, and making it all go away, you know, what's the bigger stuff? Uh, big picture of what can actually be done about it. Uh, so Paula Brantner is the Senior Advisor to Workplace Fa- uh, Fairness after serving as, as the Executive Director from uh, 20, 2008 to 2016 and Program Director from 2003 to 2007. Uh, writing legal content for the Webby-nominated site WorkplaceFairness.org. Go check it out. And developing products for the Fairness's social enterprise program is zero, just 0.1.2.3. Is that the, the proper thing? Uh, in 2016, she founded PB Work Solutions LLC and coach workers in toxic workplaces and consult and advise our workplace issues and nonprofit strategy. An employment lawyer for 25 years, Paula has degrees from UC Hastings College of Law and Michigan State University, James Madison College. She's a former coordinator for NetSquare DC and retired DC Roller Girl, which I still need to go check out for like 14 years in D.C. Uh, She volunteers at the Smithsonian National Zoo and travels around the world to see pandas, which sounds awesome. Uh, Welcome to the show, Paula, and thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Brett and Alana. Really happy to be here. Well, yeah, it's one of those, like, appreciate you coming. Really wish we didn't have to do this episode. Um, Welcome to so the a big question I've got, I think is a is a smart place to start is what is the definition of harassment 
and then sexual harassment. Like what? What is that like legal definition? Well, sexual harassment started mostly as a legal concept. Certainly uh, for uh, decades, if not centuries, women have been exploited in the workplace. But we started dealing with it as a legal matter um, in uh, the 1980s. And the legal definition that has evolved is unwanted conduct uh, that is severe or pervasive enough to affect the terms and conditions of employment. Uh, It's usually sexual conduct, but you can also have gender-based harassment. You can have uh, race harassment, religious harassment. But the, you know, what we know as sexual harassment is is unwanted sexual conduct of uh, a severe or pervasive nature that affects the terms and conditions of employment. Okay. Fairly straightforward. Um, like so, I'm fairly ignorant of the like actual laws out there. Like, is there is there national laws? Is it state laws? The combination of things? Like, you know, I've gone through my training HR and every job I've done, and there's usually a booklet I need to read and something to sign. But like, I don't, I actually don't know what governs all this. Well, um, sexual harassment comes under the federal law dealing with discrimination issues, which is uh, Title VII, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And Title VII prohibits sex discrimination and uh, doesn't even mention harassment specifically, uh, but some uh, lawyers and feminists came along in the 70s and said, hey, when women have to put up with this stuff at work and men don't have to put up with it, and a lot of it is to exert power or drive women out of the workplace because of hostility uh, based on their gender, that's a form of discrimination. And the court should recognize that that is a way uh, that women are being discriminated against in the workplace. And uh, the Supreme Court back in 1986 agreed, yes, this is a form of sex discrimination. And since then, we've had, obviously, a lot of litigation over you know, what is and what isn't harassment, but, you know, it originally developed under a, you know, fairly uh, heterosexual model of, you know, men who are bosses and women who are subordinates, and uh, they were being harassed because of either, you know, the male boss's attraction to them, or, you know, ultimately it's based in power and the ability to coerce certain behavior based on uh, exerting that power over women in the workplace. So, at least on my end of things, um, you know, it always seems to be like resources are supposed to be the ones that are, are training you and teaching you, and I know it's always HR that I, I get my booklet from to sign, um, and they're the ones that put together or get someone to come speak and train us and all that. Um, so, a couple questions on that specifically, because every story that's mm-hmm. been coming out, and I realize not everything goes to HR, like people don't report everything, but the thing that keeps blowing my mind is where the hell is HR in all this stuff? So, like, what is HR's role? What can't and can't they do? Like, what is their responsibility? Because in a lot of these stories that we're hearing, it sounds like HR's job is more to protect the company than the people being harassed. 
Well, um, you know, that's a fairly long and complicated question. Uh, but, you know, first. We have an hour. First. <laughs> right, right. May take most of the hour to answer that one. Um, no. So first you have to have HR. And, uh, you know, a lot of small businesses or startups or, you know, uh, relatively informal workplaces may not even have a dedicated HR department. So for right. you, that, that's, that's good. That's certainly the place to start. And um, the HR department is supposed to be uh, responsible for promulgating policies and dealing with complaints and all of that. But ultimately, as you said, HR works for the company. They are employed by the company. And a lot of the problem with the approach we've taken to sexual harassment over the last several decades is that uh, employers, instead of focusing on how can we get rid of harassment, how can we stop it, how can we make sure it never happens, they have instead been focused on how can we prevent our liability. Um, you know, sometimes they want to protect the harasser, sometimes they're just living in denial, or, you know, claim that it wasn't brought to their attention. <laughs> Excuse me. But unfortunately, um, you know, there are a number of situations where HR has been part of the, you know, the cover-up, the burying the head in the sand, uh, or treating complaints as less than serious or not believing the person who has been targeted for harassment. So, you know, we always have to look at, you know, hopefully HR will be part of the solution in terms of providing a fair and objective complaint process providing policies that will be enforced, but at the end of the day, you know, they still are, uh, you know, have some responsibility to help prevent the company from being sued. And, you know, obviously individual HR departments and uh, uh, HR professionals are going to differ. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, hopefully you have a good one, but, you know, we've seen a lot of instances where that unfortunately has not happened the way it should have. So if I am harassed, so and the reason, okay, so the, to set up on this, I, I actually saw a couple of people that I know on Facebook post up this scenario. They were harassed. They went and brought it up to their HR team. Um, you know, they kept on saying, okay, we'll deal with it, deal with it. And then the person who brought that up was canned at some time in the future, a couple of weeks later, a month later, and they at, at that point mysteriously they had all these negative performance reports. So, you know, for on the employee end of things, um, you know, what should they do if they're harassed? What legally should they do? Like, what are their legal rights? Like, what are their kind of their their ass sort of thing? Because at least the, there's one particular scenario where it was so fishy and it clearly sounded like they uh, they doctored some reports and threw it in the file, you know, to, to get that person out of there, the one who was harassed. And, and put in the complaint, um, but how do you how do you protect yourself over stuff like that? Okay, um, let's also break that down a little bit because it's yeah. you know kind of a there. long and complicated <laughs> scenario. But I'll start with um, can you be retaliated against uh, after you file a complaint? Well, of course, it's against the law. <laughs> you shouldn't be right. retaliated That's against. Fun. They shouldn't be papering your file. 
these things should not mysteriously crop up suddenly after you've been a great employee all along and suddenly you can do nothing right. But we all know it happens. It happens, and it's why people are scared to speak up, uh, don't uh, feel compelled to do anything, don't have any confidence that their employers will do anything, uh, because, you know, we've seen too many instances of that happening. Um, One unfortunate thing about being a lawyer is the worse uh, things are for the person at work, the better things are sometimes for their legal case. And so there have been cases where uh, they weren't able to prove harassment or discrimination, but they were able to prove uh, retaliation afterwards uh, because uh, the company just couldn't help themselves and, you know, did something, you know, in very close proximity to the complaints. And, you know, that was, that was enough to show that, well, even if this person wasn't harassed or we don't think it was serious enough to constitute harassment or discrimination, they clearly jumped in with the intent of squelching that uh, complaint and did take some form of retaliatory action. So, uh, you know, that's that's what often happens in these cases is that um, – you know, again, a good HR person will make sure that none of the uh, supervisors or other employees involved do anything that could appear to be retaliatory while the complaint is pending. Uh, but if, you know, if that doesn't happen, then unfortunately people jump in and, you know, kind of, uh, they just can't help themselves. They're angry. They don't like being accused of harassment and, and they're going to do something about it and, you know, try to try to get this person out. So uh, we see that a lot and, you know, it's better for the legal case. And, uh, but it's definitely a risk that people who complain, unfortunately, take, even though, there are legal protections uh, that doesn't pay your rent in the meantime. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's what I have to say about retaliation. You also ask like, what do people do when they're harassed? So, um, you know, we can talk about that as well. Um, the first thing you should do, even before anything ever happens to you, think about this right now. What would you say if someone said something inappropriate to you? that made you feel uncomfortable, that was clearly sexual in nature, that it was something that you, you know, either knew to be harassment or or felt like it was inappropriate and made you uncomfortable. Um, Because what often happens in the moment is that we freeze. We're conditioned to just (laughs) shut down and um, not know how to react. And so it's really important to think about uh, in advance, what am I going to say? What would I do if this happened to me? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, because it, you know, in the moment, it will be very hard to do that. So I urge everyone uh, listening now to say, wow, somebody, you know, you've all heard a story. Maybe something's happened to you in the past. What would you say if you had the perfect response ready? So that's the first thing I really urge everybody to do, which will make it more likely that that will come out naturally in the moment and, you know, do what you can to nip it in the bud. Um, The next thing you should do 
is, uh, you know, if there's a way to exit the situation, either, you know, walk away, you know, go to the restroom, go somewhere else, uh, do what you can to extricate yourself um, so that, you know, whatever dynamic is happening doesn't continue for very long. And then the next thing you should do after that is start documenting everything. If you've got a smartphone, uh, dictate a note to yourself. Uh, Take a picture of the room you're in or, you know, whatever it is you need to do. uh, Write down exactly what was said because, you know, later, uh, obviously it's a very upsetting time um, and you might not remember it exactly later. So write it down. Uh, if there are others in the room, witnesses, colleagues, or even people who weren't, uh, you know, didn't hear what was said but were there and could verify that, yes, you were there at that point in time and the harasser was there at that point in time, that could be important later. Um, you know, we've seen that the number of the situations that have come out, you know, the ones that are considered to have the most credibility, other people can verify um, you know, that they, uh, you know, that these two people were in the room at the same time at this event or, you know, whatever. Um, The next thing is if there's a friendly face in the room, a friendly person, is there anyone around you that you can talk to about what happened? Uh, So that, uh, you know, again, the, the credibility often comes back to, uh, you know, attacking the person being targeted for harassment. And one of the ways that, uh, unfortunately, people have to defend themselves is to say, look, I told so-and-so about this right when it happened. You know, and they could see I was really upset. And, you know, I didn't just make this up out of thin air. This you know, I talked to somebody, you know, at this point in time, or I posted, I wouldn't necessarily recommend you post on Facebook, but, you know, that has come up in some of the cases recently. So, you know, any way that you can address it right away, talk to somebody right away, write down all the details, and, you know, say something to your harasser right away. Those are the things I would recommend people start with. Okay, um, so you know, it, because you mentioned um, telling someone that that was there, um, you know, to kind of get their info down and, and document stuff. But what happens if, if someone either feel like they're being asked, like it's just not something that they don't perceive it as that, that um, or don't want to do anything, but like a third party sees it in that scenario, um, you know what? What should third the third party like do they have any grounds to explain to HR? Like do do they have grounds to speak for the person that they saw being harassed? Um, like you know, obviously they maybe want to bring up and talk to that person, I would think. But um, you know, what in that scenario, like what what do you think the person should do? Well, you know, every situation is a little bit different, and and some situations are easier to intervene in than others. So, uh, you know, it's hard to come up with hard and fast rules for every single situation. However, um, 
one of the things that has been missing from how we deal with sexual harassment is what we call bystander intervention, which is that no one knows how to get involved and uh, how to support the person that's uh, being targeted for harassment. And so nobody says anything. And and uh, the person who's being harassed has good reasons not to speak up. And no one else says anything either. Um, and so, you know, these situations go on and on and are not addressed. So if you witness something that you believe to be harassing, um, you know, here are just a few things you, you could do in the situation. And, you know, it would be up to you to, to determine what's appropriate. Um, the first is, is, you know, if you can check in with the person being harassed. Hey, are you okay? Is he bothering you? Uh, you know, did he just say that to you? Uh, you know, kind of, you know, demonstrating that you know what's going on, you saw what was going on, or you heard what was going on, and are willing to, to you know, repeat that back, that, you know, it wasn't something that the, uh, person being targeted just dreams or you know I can't believe he said that no he really did say that um, so that that's the first thing I would do is uh, you know if you're in a place where you can approach the person being harassed um, and you know you're in a position to do so that that's one way that you can show your support uh, another way and this is especially uh, applicable in a group setting like a con or, you know, a happy hour or some kind of group event is, <coughs> excuse me, um, many of those events and, and certainly the ones that don't have these will be starting to establish codes of conduct. And, uh a lot of uh, cons and conferences and events have had problems um, in large group settings in the past, and so they've developed these codes of conduct to try to prevent this from happening, and there's a protocol to follow um, that you, you agree if you're going to be participating that you're not going to harass, but there's also a way to report conduct um, that occurs while you're on the premises of the event. And so, you know, whenever you attend something, look for that. Or if, if they don't have one, there's nothing wrong with, like, a, you know, when you register or sign in, say, hey, you know, what if something happens? Who would I talk to about this? Um, just, you know, for your own safety and the safety of, of your, you know, friends and peers. Um, so, you know, that's another way. You, you may be able to do it anonymously or you may be able to do it in a way that doesn't implicate, you know, the employer or anyone else. You can just say, I saw this person do say this to that person and I thought you might want to know about it because I don't think it was appropriate. Um, so those are a couple of solutions right away. If you're in the same workplace, it you know, it can be a little bit more challenging, but it's always helpful to identify, you know, who the people you can trust are, 
what the workplace policy is. Is there a way to report anonymously? If you can't report anonymously, who can you talk to? Uh, do you supervisors have an obligation to pass this information along um, if they hear about it? Um, just try to identify, you know, what are the complaint mechanisms and who are the people that are responsible in that situation. Um, you know, one thing that we definitely tell people to do in the, in the labor movement is, like, as soon as you know that you might be bringing a complaint um, or you might be becoming publicly critical of the company or employer that you're working for, is to begin keeping track of your own information privately as much as possible um, so that if people do decide to complain about you or your performance, you have a way to document to show that it's manufactured problems. Um, so if you're able to say, like, look, you can see, you know, this is, like, if it was at a standard workplace, which comics offices aren't, you would be like, okay, look, you can sh I can show you I've been here on time every day. You know, I can show you these are my evaluations that I had from my manager. But, you know, the thing with comics is, and, and, and to be able to demonstrate that your excellent work record on paper and to have that backed up and saved yourself, you know, um, and to, to have that readily done before you bring something to management. Um, but definitely one of the challenges that, you know, we have in comics in the industry is that so many of people who are really employees are still regarded as being freelance. And, uh, you know, the, the, one of the things with, that made the Bergenzik case of the, um, he was, you know, an editor, a high-up editor at DC Comics who was harassing uh, people and, in fact, you know, who had brought it in, who had brought it up, uh, was that the... Um, the uh, the policy, you know, he was an employee of the organization, and they, they, they said that they had penalized him and reprimanded him for uh, violations, but the solution of the organization was to just not have any women work in his office from that point on, um, so he wouldn't be tempted, basically, um, which is disgusting. So, and then I wondered if that would be like, is that a case of workplace discrimination against women? if you're saying that here's an office that will not employ women, even if it's not stated publicly that they won't employ women, you know, like there's a, is that a different analysis of that situation? You can say, look, you can demonstrate there haven't been many women here. And it happened after this person was um, disciplined for sexual harassment. Uh, certainly. Uh, you know, the fear is that workplaces are going to overcorrect uh, over and segregate male and female employees, and that is so obviously not the solution to this and a form of discrimination on its own. You know, if anything, um, we should be putting more women in positions of power and, and not fewer and not uh, you uh -huh. know, creating more more integrated workplaces where the relations between, you know, both sexes is not so fraught because it's not, you know, 90% male or 80% male and just a handful of women trying to, you know, operate in this, this, you know, overly, or, you know, not overly, but, you know, primarily male environment. So that mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, I guess there there is certainly a danger that 
you know, in an attempt to deal with this issue that people will do some boneheaded things. And, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me if that's, you know, one of the solutions people try. But if they do, they're opening themselves up for a lawsuit because you can say, hey, look, I complained about this and then I was cut off. You know, I hit a wall. I could not advance any further in the company. I was never put on any high-level projects because, you know, the harasser was the one who was working on all of the top projects that, you know, I never got to work on again. So, um, yeah, that that is not a solution. And going back to what you said earlier, I think it's good for every employee And, you know, you don't want to have to think this way. You think every job is going to be great. And, you know, when you first get a new job, you're really excited. And especially if it's in a competitive industry that you're really trying to break into, you don't want to think something bad's going to happen. But you should all along be saving, you know, any kind of uh, portfolio information, any kind of uh, uh, compliments, kudos that you get, um, you know, keeping your LinkedIn updated, uh, keeping your resume updated, and, you know, saving copies of anything that shows your performance as an employee because, unfortunately, what happens if it becomes a, a legal and adversarial issue, a lot of the evidence that you might need to prove your case is in the hands of your employer, And they're not going to want to turn it over. They're not going to want to say anything good about you or hear about, you know, any uh, any times that your work was complimented um, or praised or recognized by someone on the outside. So you need to hang on to that along the way, whether, you know, you decide this is not the work environment for you and you want to move on or you get in a situation like a harassment situation, discrimination situation, and you need to... Uh, be able to document your performance. Absolutely. You know, the other thing with that story is that we also, you know, we actually have documented in the news coverage article on BuzzFeed that, um, you know, one of the victims of harassment who had been an editor said that she wasn't, that she wouldn't be okay with working directly for her harasser. And Brett, correct me if I'm mischaracterizing this, and that um, if, that, you know, and basically said, like, I can't work with a particular person who harassed me. And basically the, like, one of the highest people up in the company had said, okay, well, I guess, like, basically just said, okay, then I guess you won't be able to edit anything and just gave her administrative tasks from there on out. I mean. Yeah, that was kind of generally my take, too, of, of the story. And, and you know, that's, like, that's to, the yeah. risk you run. You know, it's like, it's certainly understandable why, uh, the person being harassed would not want to work with their harasser on an ongoing basis. But some companies are small enough or the power is concentrated enough or they're in a particular job where either the harasser needs to be terminated and not work with anyone uh, on the basis of, of what has happened or it's just not really possible to have that kind of segregation. Obviously, the larger the company, <coughs> it may be <clears throat> may be possible to do that. But um, you know, in in some situations, it it just may not be. And and that's you know that's another risk that you know you will find your your career stalling in you know in a job that 
you you're never going to be able to to work to the full extent of your talents because it it requires working with this creep, you know. So um you know, it's why we need better better disciplinary processes and, you know, a commitment to eradicating this kind of uh, conduct and behavior. But you may decide, look, this company culture is is so messed up that I'm not going to be able to fix it or it's not something that I want to take on and I just need to land in, a, in another position. And so, you know, having all of this um, – uh, you know, documentary evidence of, of what you've accomplished in your job and, and you know, other references aside from, you know, the person who's harassed you uh, or a direct supervisor who may also be embroiled in the situation. You know, all of those things are, are just uh, good strategies regardless of what's happening in your workplace. Well, I mean, what happened was that every single woman who was part of that is no longer working in the in the industry. But I have yep. to wonder if the company's decision to say that they are going to protect the harasser uh, is the case of discrimination against women. Uh, That's what I've that. been wondering. Well, you know, obviously, you know, uh, one or more of the women involved would need to to bring a lawsuit, and and the evidence would come out and. We don't know necessarily all the particulars on how that was articulated. Um, did they all, are they all saying, I refuse to work with this person, you need to fire him? And, and the company said no, or was it just kind of something where they decided for the sake of their careers not to, to go away, to voluntarily leave their jobs, to get into other situations? just because they despaired of anything ever changing. And, um, you know, a lot of times uh, it's not that clear cut because certainly the environment causes people to leave and causes people to give up on, uh, you know, trying to change the workplace. Um, But sometimes that's used against you if you, you know, if you're on record as saying, you know, I resigned. I I went out and got a new job rather than, you know, I stayed until I was fired or until I had, you know, eight or nine incidents of harassment or whatever. I mean, it's it's a tough line because, you know, it's it's hard to stick this out. And the longer you stay, the more abuse you may be subjected to, um, whereas, you know, you may find a much more functional employer and a much better situation for your career to thrive. Um, but that doesn't uh, necessarily get at uh, changing the behavior of that company or that harasser. Is well, I mean, I guess the thing is though, but like, but it's not that people. You you are able. You don't have to be fired from your job in order to demonstrate that you were the, that you were um, that there is a like a class action like against when you know a class that there might be grounds for class action sort of women against an employer. Um, well, hmm. there's this concept called constructive termination where you say, I was effectively terminated because I couldn't do my job under these circumstances. I was harassed and the company didn't deal with it. And in order to keep working there, I had to keep working with the person who did this and this and this to me. Um, but those are, are, you know, under the law, difficult, relatively difficult to prove because what they don't want is, 
every disgruntled employee, you know, instead of trying to work out the problems or complain about them, that they all just leave. And so you have to show some uh, evidence that you attempted to complain, you attempted to uh, stick it out, you tried to work with your employer to get these problems resolved, and you only left when it was clear that that was a futile effort. And, you know, the facts of each case will be a little bit different, but that's, you know, generally how it works is that you have to, you have to make some effort to try to fix it, and then if your employer is, is clearly not going to fix anything at that point, if you move on, it could still be considered uh, constructive termination. So with the person that's the actual harasser, because in this case, it seems it, from various reports, it sounds like her brothers in D.C. has like a process that he went and had to like whatever, sit through another uh, presentation, or take a quiz, that type of stuff. Like what, what is the actual responsibility of the employer? Like when someone is the harasser, like, you know, is it the type of thing where you, obviously they could probably just fire you if you're the harasser and just be like, yeah, now like, or, you know, go through the, go through uh, a case and find evidence and stuff like that and then fire you. But the, this gray area that seems just bizarre to me is, you know, being like, I've got a complaint against me. I'm just going to keep on taking these courses and trainings over and over and over again. And that being like, okay, we've dealt with it. Like how common is that? And like, it it just smells like it kind of kicks the issue down the road and doesn't really do anything. Well, it often does. And what people also know, it's not like there's any database of harassers. And so, uh, you know, you could, uh, You could impose some discipline, say, I'm going to suspend you for a week and you have to watch these videos and, you know, sign some documents saying, I I promise I'll never do it again. Um, And then, you know, a year from now, you take a job at another company and no one ever knows that, you know, what you did at the prior employer. And so we've seen several instances of serial harassers who just go from one company to the next. And, yeah, there was some punishment along the way, but you know, the new employer was not aware of, uh, you know, the conduct and uh, definitely didn't know that they need to, you know, keep an eye on this person. So, um, you know, that is a, that is a particular challenge that we haven't quite solved yet. (laughs) However, I think there are, sorry. Oh yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, one of the examples that we did discuss, though, was like a case where there had been a whole story that we'd run about how a particular person, uh, you know, Scott Alley over at Dark Horse Comics had like had a history of of harassing people and had gotten caught doing it. And, you know, like there was a news reports about this. And then um, he got demoted and he did an apology letter and he was demoted. And then like what, like a year and a half later, he got hired by a different company. So it's like you and this, is, this is somebody who's like publicly known as a harasser, um, and it's not like this is like I was saying to to to, to, to Paula like this isn't like the Alan Moores of the comics world like the the people who are like geniuses who will go down in the history books as the greatest creators of the art form. Those are not the no, people yeah. who are getting in trouble doing this. <laughs> it's, it's it's you know it's mid range to like on talent who are getting in trouble for this and. 
like this company, like Image, is just now employed a harasser. Like, is there any like legal liability that a company has if this person then goes on to create to do other acts of violence against people? You know, in an in an employment situation, is it because because the incident where he bought he bit somebody was at a was at a conference, which was you know on work time, right? So if there's some other well, that was going to be my next question too. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll talk about that uh, well, in a minute, but I am curious about like what employer obligations are when like someone has was like a known harasser. If there was if there was any kind of like anything that happens, if you know if, if everybody knows and acknowledges that they're a harasser and they just get hired by another company and then they harass again, like are you able to point to something that the that the employer did there? Well, there are some cases in settings like schools. Uh, you know, or or healthcare settings where people are working with vulnerable populations, and they have a history of you know a particular type of abuse, such as you know child abuse or elder abuse, where there has been you know negligent hiring, where you were supposed to do a background check and you were supposed to verify this and this and this, and you didn't do your job to to do that. Um, that has not yet been well developed in the harassment field where it's like you hired someone who some people made some complaints about in a completely different setting, but you should have known this person was not capable of, you know, behaving themselves in an office environment. Uh, Unfortunately, we like the redemption stories, you know, when people make a tearful apology or they blame uh, substance abuse or, you know, problems with their marriage or, you know, something else going on in their life, which often happens, um, you know, we we want to give them another chance. And I think that's what happens sometimes uh, from what little I know about the situation you described with Scott Alley that, you know, probably, you know, he made an apology saying I had, you know, I had a drinking problem and, and uh, you know, I'm I'm doing this and this and this now, uh, in terms of addressing my substance abuse issues and uh, you know, I, I want another chance. Um so you know, I think that's that's I think in the future we will see people more reluctant to hire known harassers, but you know, we hardly know who any of them are until like the last several months, you know, all these, uh, you know, people are coming out of the woodwork that, you know, we're only whispered about if that. So I think now we're going to have a body of a lot more people who uh, there will be media articles about that we, you know, formal public complaints about uh, and, you know, people who have access to that information for their consideration before they hire someone. Let's hope so. So with the, with the alley situation, because it's an interesting one in that particular publisher image doesn't have the creators aren't employees. It's not quite like DC where some of the creators are like full-time employees and they've got editors that are full-time employees. Their project, I, I describe the company as more as like a confederacy is that there's like this small group of central individuals who do like the bookkeeping and do some marketing and help things get the actual the like process of publishing, but the creation and the editing and the coloring and all that, they're all technically like freelancers uh, doing their own thing and then, you know, sign a 
contract with the publisher, um, which makes things even more interesting in the comic industry in that a lot of people aren't, you know, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, employees in the traditional sense that salary and benefits and all this stuff, they're freelancers. So when it comes to that, like, obviously companies can have in their contracts, um, trying to think of the proper term, um, like behavior rules. Um, a buddy of mine who does television that um, where you know you're expected to behave in a certain way, and if things come out, you can get fired and canned for it. Um, you can do that. But, but they used to call like, morals clauses. <laughs> moral clause, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yep, moral clause, and we always giggle sounds, at that, and we're like, "You're so not moral in today's environment." <laughs> uh-huh. but, but that's we'll, that's essentially what they are. Yeah, we'll, yeah, moral clause. That's comport- thank you. <laughs> Brain fart on my part. Um, with the the moral, like beyond the moral clause, what can these companies do to freelancers? Other than well, not hearing a them? lot of <laughs> yeah. Um, not let their employees harass them uh, would be a good start. Um, a lot of industries that employ contractors have a problem, and we, you know, we see it with the gig economy and companies like Uber and uh, hopefully not Lyft as much. But uh, there are special challenges that apply when you have a large body of independent contractors um, because you don't have the same protections. Uh, contractors don't have the same protections that employees have. Uh, as you know, as we've talked about, even the protections that employees have are not necessarily all that great or adequate to deal with the situation. So when you take away what little legal protections there are, uh, it can, it can really be problematic in that you don't know where to go or what to do, or if there's any way to address problems like this. Um, so I guess where people need to start right now, and especially people who haven't been harassed or, or are in positions where their, uh, advocacy can help improve conditions for the freelancers and contractors is put policies in place that, Say, even though you're not an employee, if you have a complaint about one of our employees or in a situation where you're representing the company, like uh, a professional conference or a con or whatever, that this is what you do. And as I mentioned earlier, some of the, the conferences have their own codes of conduct. And so right. if the if the person harassing you is is not you don't have any, if they're essentially a stranger to you, they work for another company, you may have some remedy through the conference itself. But, you know, we just, we don't have a lot of legal protections. And so it's really, uh, it's really important for companies to start adapting, uh, adopting those policies and for freelancers to, to push for those protections. Um, And, you know, there are some uh, advocacy groups like Freelancers Union, uh, who is uh, they're on the front lines trying to advocate for for rights of contractors to not be harassed and to get paid on time and and not be stiffed by their employers and and you know a lot of uh, abuse that uh, typically happens to contractors. But you know it's just really important to to try to figure out where those gaps are right now and what protections might exist 
and to build in more policies and procedures when companies are, you know, maybe running scared or know that uh, they they could have a problem on their hands. But what about the uh, the the contractors? What responsibility is, does the company have in if the freelancer and contractor is the one doing the harassment? Well, um, there are some there states any? that um, there's not a lot. There's honestly, okay. there's not a lot. It um, uh, contractors are not covered under the federal law, Title Seven that we were discussing earlier. Um, uh-huh. They are covered under some state laws, and so uh, you know, you the first thing to do if you've been harassed would be to talk to an attorney in your area to see if it's something that might be covered under uh, under state law. Um, and, you know, depending on the company, the company may have some kind of dispute resolution process that would help you. But, like I said, unfortunately, legal protections are pretty sparse, and so we all need to be fighting right now to just get companies to voluntarily uh, police themselves in situations where the law doesn't apply. Kind of going there, because this is a question I have, um, you brought up the freelancer union. We went and tweeted out about that. Are there other legal services out there to help employees? I mean, they don't might not know where to go, um, who to talk to. Are there like legal organizations? Are there organizations that kind of deal with the topic that we can point them to? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the challenges with uh, legal services is that uh, a lot of legal services have been really uh, gutted. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, most uh, legal services are, uh, you know, a fee-for-service basis, which, you know, if you've been fired from your job or you're, you're, you know, swinging several freelancing assignments, you know, it may seem unaffordable. But there are attorneys out there who will uh, consult with you and, you know, if they, you know, they don't feel they can bring a lawsuit on your behalf or that the facts that you present them don't add up to, to, you know, give you any legal rights in the situation, often just, you know, talking with them for, you know, a, a short uh, period of time, uh, the consultation itself will give you some strategies to move on. So, mm. um our organization, Workplace Fairness, maintains a list of attorneys nationwide. Um, and so, you know, start uh, start with our listing and see, you know, get some names of people you can talk to in your area. Um, uh, call your state bar associations or local bar associations. Often they have uh, legal referral services. Um, there are some employment law clinics in uh, major cities, including uh, D.C. and uh, San Francisco, um, often they're run uh, through law schools. And so you may inquire locally about whether there are clinics in, their er- in your area. Uh, some of them have very, you know, specific income requirements. And so, you know, you might not qualify for that. But honestly, uh you know, it may be worth your while to even pay for a consultation if you can't find someone who will advise you at least for 15 minutes or 30 minutes um, uh, free of charge. Cool. Well, 
I work on that, getting of, that information out to folks. <laughs> yeah. Ahead, yeah. I mean, one, you know, like one of the things that we always sort of talk about is like, obviously like, you know, the, the law is limited, uh, especially, you know, when, it, when you consider the fact that people um, are risking so much when they do a suit, but it still feels just like that people don't even know like what is even on the table for them. But it looks like, a lot of the solutions that ultimately people need to find require, you know, collective action of some sort. You know, if one of the things that I sort of fret over is that a lot of the time the conversation around when there's a, a problem of discrimination or really anything really messed up happening in comics, it seems like people are either of the standpoint that you should like, complain make like a like just have a couple of like random one off complaints on social media and then like go back to your life as it was or that you should like boycott the company forever and i think like you know and i'm not against boycotts i'm for boycotts but if you're going to have a boycott you have to have a strategy to win that boycott because every time somebody declares a boycott and a company doesn't see any economic target any economic uh injury or media injury from you having done so like you're not helping the cause um, what's missing in so many of these cases is any sort of collective action where people say, like, you know what, it doesn't, if I say one thing, it doesn't make a great big difference. But if we all come around, you know, we develop a hashtag that we're going to use together, um, we're going to make a statement, uh, we'll go to the press, we'll ask for comment from, you know, this person or from this employer, um, we'll develop a bigger public narrative, we'll have a petition. Like all these intermediary steps just seem to never get really discussed or even considered as options. Um, and it definitely seems like, you know, if there was someone was going to do some sort of a class action lawsuit, like the first step also would be like the straight, you know, establishing the class of like who are the people who would be impacted by this. Like people coming together is really the first step for, you know, for so much of what we need to have happen. Well, I think this is a perfect time to mention our friends at coworker.org. Uh, they are a nonprofit organization that um, allows people to file petitions against their employer and to engage in collective action in terms of getting supporters for their cause, whether they're coworkers or fans or, you know, friends and family. Um, to, to bring people on board and tell them what's going on in a particular company. So they're also a really great resource. Um, if, you know, you know that other people would support you but aren't quite sure about how to bring them on board, you know, a lot of us have been involved in organizing and know about all the steps and know how challenging it is. But, you know, if this is the first time anything like this has ever happened to you, you may not realize all you have to do to – to fight back effectively. So uh, coworker.org is a great resource for, for workers trying to figure those steps out. Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, I, I, there's also like organizations that are organizing pressure campaigns against different corporate targets all the time, including media targets. Um, and I would love to mm-hmm. see more collaboration between people who are upset about, you know, by bigotry or biased actions or discrimination, connect with organizations that are already addressing systemic problems caused by the parent companies of like lots of these publishers as well. Um, well, I think a lot of the problem is a lot of us are in our individual silos, and 
And uh, certainly employers prefer that. If you're focused on what's going on at your company, you may not even be aware of, you know, the, the dealings of the parent company or, or where you would go to escalate something. And so the silver lining of all this is, you know, all kinds of things are just coming out of the woodwork. And, uh, you know, we're learning so much about the inner workings of some of these companies. And, you know, there are efforts, obviously, to take some of them over, uh, with new management and, uh, you know, uh, promises to do much, much better. So uh, you know, hopefully some good will come out of all of this, especially in cases where, you know, the events happened decades ago and there's not much you can do about it at this point legally, but some of these uh, public outings of, of what has happened will hopefully lead to positive change. That, it's a good question. What is the general like? Are there time frame for to if, for like lawsuits and anything like? That? I, I gotta imagine it varies depending on location. Well, it 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 varies some according to the conduct at issue. Um, Title hmm. Seven, as we discussed earlier, it's um, either 180 or 300 days, uh, depending on uh, your state. Of, from the last discriminatory act. So, you know, if it went on for several months, but the, the you know, the last discriminatory act was you were fired on this date or you were demoted or, you know, something that was the last instance of harassment, <coughs> you would have either 180 or 300 days to file a complaint with the EEOC or a state anti-discrimination agency in the states that have them. So that's not a whole lot of time. And, you know, also Mm -hmm. why I recommend talking to a lawyer right away is that, you know, you've got deadlines and you could miss out entirely on your ability to do anything if you don't file within the applicable time period. Okay, so that's really I short mean, is what I'm hearing. Like, I'm yeah, shocked on how, how short really of a time short. period that is. And many my, of these my stories are like is staring at me nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, a lot of these conferences, you hear about things that happened five years ago or, you know, longer. And, you know, those are not, uh, you know, legal cases. And one thing that I think is really important with that we tend to, when we hear these stories of things that happened years ago or decades ago, apply all the same legal standards, you know, like innocent until proven guilty. And, you know, how can they prove that this thing happened? These are never going to be lawsuits. Uh, that time has right. passed. And so what it comes down to is, do we believe the person who courageously comes forward and, and talks about what happened to them at great risk to themselves and their careers and their lives, are we just going to focus on the legalities? And, you know, this is obviously a situation where due to so many different factors, uh, you know, the legal protections are just not enough. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's and, I really, and I really just want people to think about like how there's a whole community of comic supporters here who are really organized who want to support people, um, you know, that like, that we want to be able to have people's back, whether that means like doing GoFundMe's for people, supporting their independent work, you know, when their when their work for a particular publisher is you know threatened because of their discrimination that they've been forced to endure, etc. 
that there is a community of people who will really be activated to support you because we care about the creators who make our, who, and we care about the folks who are working for the, for the companies that make the stuff that we enjoy. Uh, the, uh, so, I mean, obviously there's the time frame for the, the harassment lawsuit themselves, but some of this is like assault. Is that a longer time frame? If you know that info or not. Well, you know, that becomes a criminal matter and it would be subject to the criminal laws of individual states. And, you know, a lot of times, obviously, there's matters of degree in terms of, you know, what specifically was was touched or (laughs) assaulted. So it's it's very hard to generalize, except to say the sooner, the better. And especially in the assault realm, (coughs) there are more resources out there for uh, people who have been assaulted. Um, You know, we have a whole network of, uh, you know, rape crisis centers and uh, sexual assault services for for people who have uh, uh, had to deal with that. So, you know, get to those resources as quickly as you are able. You're physically able, you're emotionally able. But if you think there's a chance you want to pursue something or you need to preserve evidence um, or just feel like you did all you could um, to respond to the situation, then uh, as much as you would probably be inclined to want to, you know, just, you know, (laughs) go somewhere remotely and not talk to anyone ever again, you have to really put yourself out there and avail yourself of the resources that are available as quickly as you can because, unfortunately, uh, this is just a situation where the longer you delay, uh, the less likely it is that anyone's going to be able to do something to help. If there was, uh, for for you as an outside observer, like, what do you think is the biggest mistake people make when they're harassed? Not, you know, and I'm, I'm to to like maybe hurt their cause or maybe not get the right result. And like, if there was one piece of advice you could give to people who have been harassed, what would you tell them to focus on? And what, like, what advice would you give? I. I think I would go back to what I said earlier. Know how you're going to respond before it happens. And when it happens, record as much information about it as you can as quickly and immediately and in as much detail as you can. Again, don't run away from it. Deny that it happened. Just Write down everything, talk to everyone you can, make a record at the time because, um, unfortunately, we have a system that, you know, the longer you wait to do anything, the more likely it is it will happen again uh, to you or to someone else. And the more likely it is that your reaction will be questioned. And that's, that's not right, but that's, unfortunately what we've seen time and time again fair good advice very very are there statistics as to like how much harassment happens in the workplace 
Um, the best place to go for the current round of statistics um, is the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission at EEOC.gov. Um, you know, I, I, I'm terrible at remembering numbers, so I don't want to <laughs> give you a bunch of numbers <laughs> that turn out not I'm to be I'm looking current. right now. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we know it's it's very prevalent Um and uh, you know what we saw from from Me Too recently is that everyone has a story. It seems like there are very few people who haven't had something happen to them. And while we know that there are definitely some you know predators and repeat offenders out there, people who have you know a, a more serious problem, there are some people that you know. Uh, have offended, have harassed, and, you know, may not even realize that their conduct made someone uncomfortable. And so, and, you know, another good thing about talking about all of this is, is people who, who don't ever want to be in the situation of having harassed someone are examining their behavior very closely and looking at, you know, mistakes they've made along the way and, and hopefully, you know, conforming their, their behavior to do, to do better in the future, to be better managers and better coworkers and uh, better supporters of those who have been targeted for harassment. Thank you very much, Paula. Yeah. I, I am contemplating a whole lot <laughs> and I learned a lot. I, I don't, yeah. Very well, it's such a huge, uh, such a huge thing right now. There's so many, so many pieces, and it's obviously a very complex problem that, you know, we really uh, we spent decades on, and we're not where we should be in terms of solving it. But hopefully, uh, some of the attention we're we're focusing on it right now will make a will make a real difference. Have you seen as an organization an uptick? Um, you know, I don't want you to give away metrics or anything like that, but has there been more? Are you seeing more as an organization, like people coming to you and talking to you now these last, feels like, what, three weeks or so, four weeks? Well, I, you know, the phone is ringing off the hook for these kinds of things, media, uh, you know, radio, television, and and uh, mainstream press articles. Um, so it's something that, you know, people are really looking for concrete, helpful information. And um, we have several pages on our website dedicated to sexual harassment issues, and they are getting, you know, <laughs> much higher traffic than, <laughs> I mean, they were always among the, the more popular pages of our site, but, you know, they're really, uh, really uh, uh, seeing a lot of traffic these days. So, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's something that everybody is, is uh, talking about and thinking about, and hopefully the right people are are talking about it and thinking about it. Um, but uh, you know, I don't expect it's going to go away anytime soon because you know it's just it's in it's an issue that has been there for decades, and and uh, you know, hopefully with this this current focus, we can you know kind of wrap our heads around it a little bit and and come up with some solutions that work better than the ones we've had. You know, as we're kind of wrapping up, um, we've had you on for a, a while now. Is there anything going on 
and like legislatively that people might partake, you know, help kind of push through? Hmm. Um, well, I haven't seen much yet. You know, what I've seen legislatively is that uh, legislatures are scrambling to do trainings, uh, you know, Congress, state legislatures, um, and they have particular problems as well. Uh, many of them have what I call the fox in the hen house problem, where the people yeah. doing the investigating of the complaints are 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 peers of the person who is the harasser, and so there's just uh, you know an incentive to protect your own, um, and uh, so you know some of the processes processes that are set up to deal with this are just not effective. Um, I think some of the things we will see though in the days ahead will be uh, requiring more training. Uh, there may be some proposals to deal with the freelancer issue that we talked about uh, to provide more protections to people who don't have uh, employee-based protections. Um, there may be some efforts to reduce the number of employees to be eligible for protection. Um, hmm. You know, f- 15 is the federal standard under Title VII, some states have significantly uh, lower uh, numbers than 15. Um, what, how many people are in the company? Some, what, what number? What number? What's that yeah, number? Yeah, how many people in the company? Okay. Um, there's there's some states that have as low as as if you are the only employee, but you're being harassed by the owner, that you could file a lawsuit under state law, even though you wouldn't have the. 15 to uh, file a lawsuit under federal law. So I think we may see more of that because there's a particular problem in small workplaces with, uh, you know, you can't get away from the harasser. You you can't do your job without interacting with the harasser. And, you know, many of them are, are you know, family-owned or, are, you know, you work directly with the owner of the company, and so there's no... There's no complaint process. There's no HR. There's really nothing you can do in that situation. So uh, I imagine we'll be taking uh, some looks at that. I haven't seen a lot yet, but, you know, it takes time for these things to filter down. And usually it happens in the state first. And, uh, you know, a lot of state legislatures are not going to be in session until the, uh, the beginning of the year. True. <laughs> We're in politics. Sure, probably thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, imagine everybody would be scrambling <laughs> to say they're doing something. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's just, it's. Uh, you know what Congress is scrambling to do is to say we're going to require uh, you know sexual harassment training for everyone, and um, you know I don't expect with with the current uh, uh, environment uh, we have, especially if we have to deal with Senator Roy Moore, um, <laughs> that you know con- Congress is really going to do much of anything anytime soon. That's uh, that makes a, a significant impact. Um, but I I do feel like some states are going to, to take a look at what they have and, and uh, try to see where they can make improvements. Which was, So the Congress thing, I worked on the Hill for two and a half years. I swear I went through harassment training at least twice in the two and a half years. And maybe well, it's just like... Well, you work for Democrats. 
I mean, they might not be good in practice, <laughs> but they're good on paper. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like a Democratic office is going to just be, be just as sexually harassed as a Republican one. But the Democratic one is more likely to make you go through yeah. a performance of, like, you know, having some sort of training. Yeah. I was My understanding like, is uh, it's at their discretion. So, yeah, yeah it would be yeah, up yeah. to the individual member's office. We had ethics Which could change I, in the I, light of what's happening, but. Yeah, and I, I was about to say, I'm like, I'm positive it was probably our, our, our um, office manager that had us go through it all. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad you know, to go through it. It was always interesting. I, I do want to give a plug, actually, um, that uh, there's a really cool new uh, couple of workplace trainings that are being offered by Jill Rainey, who some of us know from – Movement stuff. Um, they uh, do. A, they have a. Uh, they have a um, practice that's called Practice Makes Progress, and they do a training that's like called like the non-embarrassing anti-sexual harassment training for your workplace. Um, and if I were an employer, that would definitely be uh, who I'd be going to to get to do a training. I think that um, who, a lot of people have a lot that? of non-helpful. Jill Rainey. Um, I'll send you their information uh, on Twitter in a sec. Okay. Um, they also have one um, on gender fender benders, as they put it, which is sort of like a good training on, um, on like being a more trans supportive office, particularly for folks who like want to do a good job of this, you know, and know that something that's important, but don't have necessarily, this, you know, we well, this is all stuff that folks are learning how to be better coworkers and better allies and do a better job of tackling. So uh, definitely go follow them. Let me see what's their Twitter account. I know that practice makes progress is the name of the, of their practice. Uh, yeah. So on Twitter it is, Oh yeah. At practice. P R G R E S S. Oh, you're going to have to tweet that one and I'll just retweet. I'll you. totally do that. I'll totally do that. <laughs> I am it's now doing a sexual harassment. <laughs> Go ahead, sir. Um, uh, I'm now doing sexual harassment trainings through my company, PB Work Solutions, and so I'd be happy to talk to any of your listeners about, uh, you know, what might be needed at their company or how to work with them individually if they are encountering uh, a hostile work environment, harassing environment. Oh, that's awesome! There... That's great. Yeah, oh, thank you. Cool. We will we will go and uh, tweet that up uh, so people find you as well. Terrific. Uh, so uh, you know, we're, we're over an hour. Uh, I'd like to give our guests, like chances to plug stuff. You know, obviously you that you just mentioned. Um, so kind of the platform is yours to to throw up um, resources. Maybe people should check out where people can find you online, your company, all that stuff, your organization. Sure. Um, well, I, I, as uh, mentioned earlier, um, I work as a senior advisor to Workplace Fairness, and Workplace Fairness is a nonprofit that provides legal information uh, about uh, your workplace rights and the latest what's happening in uh, the world of employment law and workplace development. And so at workplacefairness.org, you will find hundreds of pages of FAQs, of you know about every employment law topic imaginable and the law of all 50 states so you can figure out uh, what might be applicable to you in your state 
And as I mentioned earlier, we have a database of employment attorneys who uh, represent workers in employment disputes. So if you think you might need to talk to a lawyer, here's where you can find a lawyer in your area. All of Workplace Fairness's services are, are free of charge. They're on our website, available uh, 24-7, 365. So it's really the first place you want to go if anything bad happens at work, whether it's harassment or anything else, just to get your bearings and figure out what to do next. And um, I consult with Workplace Fairness after having been uh, an employee of the organization for over 15 years. Um, and I've started my company, PB Work Solutions. And uh, you can email me at pbworksolutions at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, I have a website, but, you know, I have to do uh, more development, uh, kind of just getting some of the, the sexual harassment work off the ground in light of uh, uh, the great need of what's happening right now. But uh, if you want to email me or uh, I'm on Twitter, at, uh, you can DM me at, at pbrantner. Um, I'd be happy to discuss your situation. Awesome. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, thank you. My pleasure. And I'm going to tweet up your website now so mm-hmm, people can mm-hmm. find it. Um, but well, yeah, thanks, thank you so much for, for joining. Like This has been uh, very useful and hopefully you know, some of the folks out there in the comics land will, will find it so useful. I mean, it's kind of a, amazing. Um, how little so many know. I mean, I learned tons of this. Can't really say anything. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> well, uh, happy to help. Uh, been doing this for a long time, and uh, while I'm, you know, it's very upsetting to see all the harassment that has gone on and continues to go on. I, I'm very excited about this this watershed moment and, and uh, optimistic that we'll see some change, some positive change come from it. Yes, I I hope so. It would be a good thing. Um, yeah. But, again, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, don't take this the wrong way. I hope we never have to talk about this again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I can talk about all sorts of other subjects, but yes, I, I would agree. There's a saying amongst employment lawyers is that we'd love to put ourselves out of business, um, yeah. but it's unlikely to ever happen. So, yeah, unfortunately. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, and you know, our guests can go find you at site, you know, read up the website, the organization, Twitter, everything. Go uh, take advantage. We've got tons of resources here. So uh, thanks for joining us so much. It's my pleasure. Have a great weekend. Have a, have a good Thanksgiving to everyone. Um, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And if you missed the beginning of this episode, you can find it. You'll be able to listen to us on our iTunes at Graphic Policy uh, very shortly. Yep, as well as Stitcher. And, and it'll SoundCloud. Be on, on SoundCloud tomorrow, and it will be on mm-hmm. our website tomorrow. And it will be up on YouTube on Saturday as I'm putting our podcast oh, on there. Excellent. So you can go check it out on um, which has been a and very interesting experiment. And I will be experiment. on Twitter at all times, as always. 
uh, at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Yeah, and you can, of course, find us at Graphic Policy on the website, graphicpolicy.com, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all at Graphic Policy. Really nice and consistent. Uh, again, so this has been an awesome episode. I, I'm so happy that so much information came out of this. Um, please, people, like share this around. Use this as a resource. Uh, you know, I think this is an under area um, in the industry. So uh, we've got tons of resources out there. And then the um, in the archive on our site, I will do my best to collect a lot of the uh, various links and organizations that we mentioned and get there is a nice like archived place you can go find it so uh, as always thank you so much for listening until next time i'm brett i'm ilana keep it geeky